Morning, everybody. Pastor Phil here at New Life in Christ Church once again. And once again, we want to welcome you to our online service. And uh, thank you all for being here and tuning in. And, um, you know, it is a blessing and an honor to be able to minister to you in this way. Um, we have a couple announcements before we get into this. So first, we have our website, which is nlicedarcreek.org. And on there, you can find all the information pertaining to the church. You can find um, a link to our YouTube page, which is what you're watching right now. If you would subscribe on that, we would appreciate that. And then also you can find a link to our Facebook page. And uh, if you could like that as well, uh, that would help us to get the word out and, and preach to people. Um, on a side note, you know, I've been, this has been on my heart, is that we need to, we need to be calling for revival. You know, um, all the churches across the nation need to be calling out to, for, for revival. I mean, we call, we call upon God for revival, and that's right and just that we do that. At the same time, we also need to be willing to do our part because God works through the church and the earth. So um, as we work together to win people to Christ, uh, please be in prayer, be in prayer, prayer. You know, your, your prayers, the word said that the prayer of the, the righteous, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. And so even though we don't feel like we can do a lot during this crisis individually, uh, our prayers do a lot. And if we are in prayer and following the leading of the Holy Spirit, then we will know in our heart when it's time to do things. And even small actions uh, by the leading of the Holy Ghost can accomplish a great deal. Um, moving on then, didn't mean to say all that, but moving on, we have three ways to give now. Uh, one via text, which you will find the uh, phone number on the screen. Next, uh, you can click in the, the link in this video description, um, or you can... Um, mail any, any gifts to the church, um, to our uh, postal address. Um, and then also, uh, touching on prayer again, if you have prayer requests, please send them. We are diligent to pray. Um, we are diligent to seek the Lord and, and, uh, and go to Him on your behalf and ask Him for what you need. And of course, if you have uh, any questions or you need teaching on prayer, please let us know. Um, that being said, Let's go ahead and pray and then get into service. So, Father God, we thank you so much for your, for your will that's being executed in the earth, regardless of what we may see. We thank you, Lord, that you are working uh, underneath uh, or behind the scenes to accomplish your desires. And, and uh, we thank you so much that your desires, your plans for people are only good, that you desire they return to you, then be reconciled to you, be saved. And, uh, Lord, uh, we ask that you bless the service. We ask that you bless our time together as we worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you, Father, and praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Praise God. Through you, I can do anything. I can do all things. Because it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible through you. Blind eyes are open. Struggles are broken. I am living by faith. Nothing is impossible through you. I can do anything. I can do all things. Because it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible through you. Blind eyes are open. Struggles are broken. I am living by faith. Nothing is impossible. Oh. 
by what I see. <laughs> Not gonna live by what I feel. Deep down, I know that you're here with me. I know that you can do anything. Through you, I can do anything. I can do all things Cause it's you who gives me strength Nothing is impossible Through you blind eyes are open Strongholds are broken I am living by faith Nothing is impossible Through you I can do anything I can do all things Cause it's you who gives me strength Nothing is impossible Through you blind eyes are open Strongholds are broken I am living by faith Nothing is impossible I believe, I believe I believe, I believe in you I believe, I believe I believe, I believe in you. I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe in you. I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe in you. Through you, I can do anything. I can do all things. Cause it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible. Through you, blind eyes are open, strongholds are broken, I am living by faith. Nothing is impossible, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in you. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in you. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in you. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in you. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe in you. Praise you, Lord. I do believe. I believe, Lord, it's still your desire to move in the earth. And you're moving. And you're moving, Lord. Thank you, Lord. still being moved strongholds are still being loosed God we believe in 
Yes, we can see that signs are still what you do. And bodies are still being raised. And giants are still being slain. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. Set our hearts on you, Jesus, do what you do, cause we need your move, we need your move, we are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We set our hearts on you, Jesus, do what you do, because we need your move. Holy Spirit, we need your move. Hey, we need your move. Christ is still saving souls astray. And he is still healing the lame. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see that miracles are still what you And we are here for you, Jesus, do what you do. We are here for you, Jesus, do what you do.
If you say I'm healed, Lord, if you say I'm saved, oh, I receive the miracle. I receive the miracle.
we may miss a few notes. We may miss a few cues. Oh, Lord. None of that matters to you. All you want is every heart. All you want is every heart, Lord. To be crying out to you. To be crying out to you. Oh, we are here for you. Oh, we are here. hope at the moment and they look at all the things going on in the world around them and then they look at their own problems on top of those and they wonder how are they going to make it but if you remember at the Red Sea when you had when the people of Israel had Pharaoh and his army coming to dragged the people back into slavery. They were crying out to God. Moses was crying out to God. And God said, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. When the church begins to move, God will respond. We just need to step out in faith. Praise you, Lord.
among your people. You move among us here. Oh, healing is here.
<laughs> for that one sitting on their couch there who says, can it really be true? Can there, can there, yeah, there may be healing there where he's singing, but is there healing, is there freedom where I am? Of course there is. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is the healer, there is Jesus. Of course. So yeah, I just dare to believe. God operates on belief. It's how he chooses to operate. There you go. So yeah, just believe. And just receive. It's not about feeling, it's about belief. Praise you, Lord. Yeah, God does want to touch you. He does want to change your circumstance. Of course he does. He loves you. And when you give yourself to him, when you give your all to him, and you do like Jesus said, follow me. Live the same manner of life that I live. Do what I do. Act how I act. Say what I say. You can always walk in this. You can always walk in healing, always walk in freedom. Even when things get hard. Even when things seem that they won't change. Yes, God is there. Even when he seems silent. If you put your word, his word in your heart, you can remind yourself of what he has said. And you can act on what he has said. You can exercise your faith. Praise God. Sickness can't stay. Sickness can't stay any longer. Your perfect love is casting out fear. You are the God of all power. And it is your will that my life is healed. Sickness can't stay any longer Your perfect love is casting out fear You 
are the God of all power, and it is your will that my life is healed. Oh, sickness can't stay any longer. Your perfect love is casting out fear. You are the God of all power, and it is your will that my life is healed. Lift my hands to the heavens, and lift my eyes where my help comes from. I look to Trust in you. Oh, I trust in you. Oh, I trust in you, Lord. I choose to trust in you want so important that when you've exercised your faith to receive something from God that you begin to give him thanks give God thanks it's a declaration of faith Don't focus on seeing what you asked for from the Lord. Jesus said, whatever things you ask, believe that you receive them, and then you will have them. So we thank you, Lord, for all those jobs, promotions, provision, Father. We thank you for that healing coming in. As people exercise faith to taste and see, that you are good. Thank you, Lord. For all that you've done, I will thank you. For all that you're going to do. For all that you've promised and all that you are is all that has carried me through Jesus I thank you sing that again for all that you've done I will thank you 
that you're going to do for all that you promised and all that you are is all that has carried me through Jesus I thank you and I thank
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you. You said in Psalms, you told us, you said, make the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So we thank you, Lord, not only for what you are doing now, but also what you will do in the earth. Lord, we, we called out to you for revival. And now let that call echo in the spirit throughout the churches. Because as the word said, deep calls unto deep. Your spirit calls out to our spirit. Like our spirit calls out to you. Let the people... Hear the call and take up the call. Thank you, Father. We'll wait on you, Father. When you say move, we will move. Lord, I ask that you bless this word going out. You gave us warnings in your word about the end times. And I pray, Father God, that you help our heart not to be in fear, but to watch and pray and be that witness in the earth that you have called us to be. Thank you, Father. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Wow. That's different. Let's uh, open our Bibles and turn over to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. We um, are continuing the study on the end times that we have started, and I say study, but really we're just talking about it. We're just going over it. And, uh, you know, I do admit I am giving you some of my opinion, and I will tell you again, once again, when I'm giving you my opinion. Um, The title of today's message is Overcoming the Antichrist Spirit. Overcoming the Antichrist Spirit. Um, So, you know, a couple weeks back in talking about the end times, we made mention of the fact that Jesus told us that the harvest is great. And by that, he meant that there are many in the earth who are willing to receive him, even now with, you know, when we see this chaos going on around us. Maybe difficult to believe, that there, but there are many who are still willing to listen to Jesus. They're just lost. And, you know, we pointed out that that statement that Jesus made is never retracted in the word, which means that it's still enforced today, 
and it will be in force right up until the last day of the tribulation because that will be harvest time. And the reason that I started us out this way and talking about this is because the church at large needs to get away from the fear that usually surrounds teaching on the end times. And as I began to study this out for myself in the Word, more and more I began to wonder why there's so much focus on the bad stuff that's going to happen in the tribulation. And we need to be careful what we are speaking out, you know, and we need to be careful of the things that we dwell on. You know, um, you know, many times we come to the church as our support and we tell people all the things that we're going through. And after we have cast our cares upon the Lord and we still see no results and we still feel like we're cracking under the pressure, that's when we go and we take these things to the church because we want to be careful how much we are bringing to the plate about the issues and the problems that are going on in our lives. I mean, we're always going to have issues and problems going on. There would be no need to exercise your faith if, if there weren't going to be trials and tribulations. But God primarily wants us to cast our cares on Him. Not that we can't go to the church as a support. I mean, that's necessary sometimes. There's been times God has told me, go up and, and you know, go down for prayer and let the, let the church agree with you concerning this thing that you've been praying about for a long time. There's times for that. But um, if we focus on the bad things that are going on, we need to be careful with that because it will hinder our ability to operate in the earth. And God doesn't want that. You know, God doesn't let us know about what's going to happen so that we will be in fear. You know, in, 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 in Timothy, he said, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. A spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind. God, if, if we're feeling fear, that's not from God. God doesn't want us to be in fear. So then why does he show us things to come? Why does he talk to us about things that are going to happen in the earth? Well, he tells us things that are going to come about because he wants us to be ready when they do happen, and he wants us to respond appropriately when we see them start to happen. And so why... Why do people seem to zero in on fear when they talk about the end times? Well, partly, and I take no pleasure in, in telling you this, is money. Fear sells. You know, I mean, we've seen, we've seen Hollywood make movies about the end times. And it's, it's, <laughs> they're always filled with terrible chaos and violence and things like that. And yeah, there will be th those things occurring, but there are other things happening too. It's not just those things. And God doesn't want us to focus on those things. Because that takes away our focus from Him and it also takes us, it causes us to look away from God's glory and look at the things that the enemy is doing because that's not our focus. That's not, that's not what we need to be focused on. We need to be focused on what God is telling us. You know, and in general, you know, just to stay on this for just another second about fear, you know, we can see that fear sells just in how successful horror movies are. Scary TV shows, things like that. People like the feeling of being afraid, but fear immobilizes. And if the church at large is living in fear of the end times, it's no wonder that Jesus told us to pray and ask God to send laborers into the harvest because who is willing to go into a harvest that looks like, looks like that? How can the church be effective in the harvest if they're afraid to move? 
Okay, so let's address some of these issues here. Here in Matthew 24, we got a few um, verses into this passage the last time we talked about this, but not too far. And, you know, normally I don't teach like this, but we're going to have to break this passage down because the way that Jesus uh, teaches on this is in layers. You know, Jesus is looking, you know, you have, to, you have to look at this whole thing in verses 13 through 14 in Matthew 24. You have to look at this from a bird's eye view as sort of an outer layer. Okay, the outermost layer of what's going on, you know. Um, then when he moves down to verses 15 to 26, he goes into some detail about the Antichrist entering the temple when he's, you know, a, a physical person. And then he talks about the tribulation, and then the verses 24 through, no, yeah, 27, excuse me, 27 through 44, Jesus gives details about his return, which explain how we'll be in, uh, it, that explains how we'll be able to spot false messiahs. He talks about that. And then also, of course, his, trump, his turn, his return trumps what the Antichrist is up to. I mean, the, the, the person, that person cannot, that man can't even contend with Christ's. Um, then, you know, also in those verses, he talks about why we should always be ready for his return. And then the chapter ends with verses 45 through 51, where Jesus talks about how we are to serve him during the end times. Because he expects us to serve him a certain way during the end times. And so that's just a rough outline for you to simplify this talk that Jesus gives on this subject. And now, about this first part that we're in, verses 13 through 14, 13 through 14, 3 through 14, where Jesus gives this uh, uh, sort of an overview of the whole end times period. It's easy to look at these things he's talking about bunched up together in these verses and think of them all happening right on top of one another. But what we need to do is examine this and realize that some of these things on this list take a while to happen, first of all. Second of all, you know, uh, you understand that the Bible talks about the end times as though we're living in them now in the New Testament, and that was written 2,000 years ago. We have been in the end times since then, but now things are beginning to escalate because we're getting closer to the time of the end. And so, you know, I just want to give just a little bit of evidence here. You know, this was, I was thinking about this, and, you know, when we think, okay, the, all this, man, we got, we got wars, we got famines, we got all this stuff happening, but, you know, so let's see what he says here in verse 3. He says, now, uh, it says, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they're asking him really a big question. That's why he talks so long in this chapter, because they're asking him these big questions. Verse 4, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Okay, so now, that's the first thing that he's saying. You know, there's going to be people that come to deceive. And again, we've been seeing that since the first, the first century church. So, uh, it's been happening for a long time. So, this has already occurred. There have been many people who stood up and claimed to be the Christ, which means anointed. You know, and they've been able to gather some followers. Anyone can claim to be the Christ, but there is only one Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. And, you know, again, we've seen many of these things that Jesus is talking about here. It's possible that we are further along in the end times than we realize. And that should really be an encouraging thought. Because we look forward to Christ's return. Do we not? So, verse 6, he says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. 
I'm going to just read that line again. This is Jesus talking to us. Talking to us. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So at the, at the time that Jesus spoke this, these things had not really taken place, but we're, we're, we've, we've already seen that since then some of it has transpired. And I say that to offer some encouragement that these things can be endured. Because when people teach on the end times, it can carry in the undercurrent the thought that those things will be unlivable. The times will be unlivable. Who can bear it? Okay, but it can be endured. That's what Jesus is telling us. And we'll see uh, as we get into this further that uh, the times would be unlivable if God did not shorten those days, but he will. He will. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're not talking about that today. Right now we're talking about the evidence that these things won't happen right on top of one another. Because like I said, some of these events Jesus mentions take some time to come about. You know, yeah, I mean, the, you know, earthquake, that happens awful quick. But, but, you know, think about a kingdom rising against a kingdom. That takes some time. It takes time to organize a military for battle and months of planning to execute a battle strategy. It takes time and, and, and it takes seasons for famine to begin to have an effect on a population. So this will not happen overnight. And this beginning of sorrows that Jesus mentioned does not directly affect the church, it appears. Or only the church, you could say. It's not until verse 9 that we see some things begin to directly affect the church. What he does now is he kind of, when he gets to verse 9, then he starts talking about how this will specifically affect us. You know, uh, so again, but even then it's still a bird's eye view, you know, because Jesus is not talking about a, a specific church in a specific place. He's, 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 he's talking about the, the church at large, spread over the, the entire earth. The church of Christ, okay, his church. So keep that in mind as we look at verse 9 here. He says, and they, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And, uh, excuse me, verse 10. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So, you know, one of the reasons that I felt God wanted us to talk about this subject is to make an effort to put to rest the fears that people have about the end times. One of the fears that people have that I've noticed, and this is uh, really, uh, it's, it really runs kind of rampant through the church, I've noticed, you know. Um, one of the fears, that, and the fear that I'm talking about is the fear of being deceived. There's very much fear in people of being deceived. And that's not just in the church, too. There's people, all people all, all throughout the earth are in fear of being deceived. And I find that so intriguing because does that not mean that all of humanity on a heart level is in agreement of the fact that truth exists? And if a fear of being deceived exists, does that not mean that there must be such a thing as a universal truth? We hear people say things like, this is my truth. But when they say that, they're not really expressing a universal truth. It can't be universal if it's specific to them only. Really, they're stating what they feel. 
or what they believe. It may not have any grounding in truth. You know, something doesn't have to be true for someone to believe in it. Maybe, maybe, maybe it, it, does, it does have some grounding in truth. Maybe not. You know, I remember a story one of our relatives told us about a time she was working to potty train one of her, her toddlers, you know. She couldn't figure out why he was always trying to avoid the toilet. It was like he was afraid of it. Until one day she made him sit there till he accomplished the deed. And after it was done, this little toddler said, Oh, that didn't hurt at all. And then she realized why he had been avoiding the toilet. For some reason, he believed that using the toilet would hurt him. So he was afraid to use the toilet. What happened? This little toddler had a wrong belief. His truth was that using the toilet would result in pain. But come to find out, his truth wasn't true at all. And so even though people try to argue and reason of what, as to what truth is, you know, I mean, even Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? So even though some will try to say that truth is subjective, at a basic level, no one wants to be deceived. And God knows that, which is why Jesus gives us this warning that during the end times, many false prophets will deceive many. And he says, do not be deceived. Which means it's possible to keep from being deceived. If you have a bookmark, go ahead and leave that here in Matthew. I'm going to do that myself here if I can find my, if I can find my bookmark. Go ahead and leave that here in Matthew and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle. And you're going to go just past Hebrews, just past James and Peter. There it is, 1 John. So again, we're sort of just verbally processing all this information that God has given us on this subject because he said a lot about it. He really said a lot about it. And yet so many get the facts turned around and focus on the wrong part of the story. My kids have this bad habit of getting stuck on some trivial part of a movie that we're watching. You know, Dad, Dad, why, why is that guy wearing a pink shirt? And it's like, guys, shouldn't you be more concerned that the guy is being chased by a dinosaur right now than the fact that he's wearing a pink shirt? You know, it seems strange that such intelligent and capable children would focus on the trivial, and yet people do that with this end-time subject frequently. We want to focus on the mark of the beast, or we want to focus on what the Antichrist is doing, when we should be focused on what God is telling us. And so when we talk about this fear of being deceived, you know, even that to me is focusing a bit on the trivial because Jesus simply said, don't be deceived, you know. It, it's, it's far more simple than people think. So let's examine that here in 1 John 4, in verse 1. 1 John 4 helps if I'm in the right chapter. 1 John 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, now when he says beloved, he's talking to the church. In other words, ones who are loved. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So here we see some talk about false prophets again. So understand this, and this is very important, okay? 
When someone claiming to be a prophet speaks, they are speaking by the inspiration of a spirit. And this may sound strange to some of you, but stay with me. When God sends someone to speak on his behalf to God, it's as if he himself spoke it. Because they are acting as his representative, okay? The word tells us that God's angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. You can read about that in the beginning of Hebrews. God doesn't tell us their entire job description. But we do know one of their jobs is to deliver messages on God's behalf. Why doesn't God get specific about their jobs? Well, or all their job, because he's not giving us like a rundown of what their job descriptions are. It's because he wants us to stay focused on the right part, the right part of the story. We are not to spend a great deal of time focusing on angels. That's not what we are here to do. And we need to understand, as Americans, that statistically, Americans have an unhealthy fixation with angels. And we don't want to put angels higher than their place. You know, when John tried to bow down to an angel, the angel got upset. He said, see that you don't do that. I'm just your fellow servant. Worship God only. See, angels who serve God, holy angels, as we call them, will always defer to God. See, demons are fallen angels. They don't serve God. And so, a holy angel will always direct attention away from themselves and to God. See, this verse here said, test the spirits whether they are of God. Are they of God? God considers a message sent through his servants, including angels, to be as if he himself spoke it. So we shouldn't get all concerned if you feel that God is speaking to you, telling you to tell someone something. That, is this God speaking to me or an angel? As far as God's concerned, if it is an angel that's telling you something, it's because God sent that spirit to minister. Did he have to? No, but he, he likes to put people to work. You know, he likes to co-labor with people. That's why he gives us assignments too. He could do it on his own, but he gives us assignments as his representatives in the earth. So then, you know, if we understand this, where it says, test the spirits whether they are of God, Okay, so then, by what spirit is a prophet speaking? Are they speaking by a spirit that is of God? Are they speaking out of their own spirit? Or are they speaking by some other spirit? And I mean, again, don't let fear grip you when I talk about these things, because they are biblical, and these things have been happening for 2,000 years already, and you're no worse to wear for it. So, the reason for this, why, 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 why do we test the spirits? He said, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the office of a prophet and false prophets and things like that. Okay, uh, but it is important to note here that it has been happening since the beginning of the church. Okay, it's been happening ever since... Jesus prophesied that there will be false prophets. We are living in the end times. There's no doubt about it. So look at verse 2. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. See, God gives us litmus tests for these things in the Word. We need to be, not, not overthink it. You know, Jesus just said, don't be deceived. How? Be in here. Know what this says. And when you read this, don't read it through the lens of some denominational teaching. Some, some thing that someone told you one time about God that doesn't have any founding in here, doesn't have any, any grounding in this. 
when you read this, just read it as if God is speaking to you because he is. So, let's read that sentence again. By this you know the Spirit of God. So then we see here that the Holy Spirit himself inspires us to speak as well. Amen. But the rest of the verse confirms the fact that God considers any message conveyed from him to be as if he himself spoke it in person. This is why we must be careful to know God well. Know him. Not just speak his words. We can speak his words without knowing him very well. We need to do our best to not only speak his words, but speak them how he would have them spoken. Okay, verse 2 again. We'll read the whole verse this time. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So last week we learned that the Antichrist is called the son of perdition, the man of sin, not last week, the week before, uh, and the lawless one. Those were all, you know, titles for the same person. You know, and that will be a physical person at some point. And uh, we saw that when we were reading, you know, in uh, Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we saw that. And in that passage, it also mentioned the mystery of lawlessness, which is already at work, it said. And now here we read about the spirit of Antichrist, which in my opinion is related at least to the mystery of lawlessness in that the goal of that spirit of Antichrist is to inspire lawlessness in all of mankind across the globe. That's what it's trying to do. And we know that that spirit of Antichrist will only have partial success in that. Okay? It will not accomplish that goal of complete lawlessness. It will fail at that. Now, when the Bible says lawlessness, it's not talking about civil laws written by man. We're ta not talking about traffic laws or real estate law or anything like that. We're talking about God's laws. We're talking about a spirit, an antichrist spirit, operating in the earth that is directly opposed to God's views of right and wrong. And it's called the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness, because at this time it can only operate in secret. It's not open to the public eye at this time. It will not be revealed until the Antichrist is revealed. How do we know that? Because one of the names given to the Antichrist is the lawless one. He is the culmination of the mystery of lawlessness personified. And he cannot be revealed until the one who was restraining is taken out of the way. We read about that. Every time, and I'll just say again, I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who is restraining, but I believe he is doing that through the, through the church. When we pray and we seek God and we ask him to intervene in the earth, that is restraining. Do you understand that restrains the evil that people are trying to do in the world? The, the people, who, people who are promoting evil in the world are being inspired by this spirit of Antichrist. And it's being restrained at this time. And so we are living in a time when it is being restrained and we, our prayers and our actions in the earth 
that God calls upon us to do are helping in that restraining. Okay, so understand that what is being, what is being restrained, it's the, the Antichrist spirit is what is being restrained by the Holy Spirit, I believe. And we went into great deal, a, a great deal of detail about that in the, that one week's message, which you can find online if you want more info on that. Um, it was two weeks ago. Okay, so we don't want to shift away from what we're talking about here. So now notice here concerning testing spirits, whether or not they are of God, that is what proves whether a prophet is true or a prophet is a false prophet. And it's in my experience, you know, most of the people who operate in the office of the prophet in the church, which is a very small number when you compare how many people there are in the church who belong to Christ, most of them don't even claim the office of a prophet. They just speak as they feel led to by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I always, you know, if someone's claiming to be a prophet, I'm always asking, why are they claiming to be a prophet? Is it just because they want the notoriety? You know, or are they saying it because they're just, they need to get, the Holy Spirit is directing them to say that so they can get people's attention. You have, always have to look at the motive. What is the motive? Pray about it and ask God. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, it says here that if a prophet denies that Jesus came in the flesh, came in a, in, in a body, they cannot be speaking by the Spirit of God. Why? Because in denying that fact that Jesus came in the flesh, they are denying the finished work of the cross. Because Jesus didn't, if, if he didn't come in a physical body, he could not have been risen from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, then there could be no resurrection for those who believe in him. Because if he couldn't be risen from the dead, how can he rise others from the dead? So it's really very simple. The Antichrist spirit is any spirit that seeks to oppose, diminish, or minimize the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what makes it anti-Christ. And lawlessness is tied to that because God has invested much into the work of Jesus Christ and to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ and so to turn away from Jesus is to be in conflict with God's views of right and wrong. This is why the spirit of Antichrist and the mystery of lawlessness are so closely tied together. Now before we continue here in 1 John, I want to show you how this topic of lawlessness is correlated in the word. Keep your finger here, if you would, and flip back to your bookmark that you had in Matthew. Flip that around. See, so understand that everything that Satan does is a counterfeit of something that God does. If God raises up prophets, it only follows that Satan will raise up false prophets. Because Satan can only copy what God does. So, you know, you wouldn't, he, he's not going to, he doesn't do a whole lot of things on his own because you only, you only counterfeit something that has value. This is why some people who talk about how God's, you know, the miracles that God does are not, are, are, I mean, miracles are not for today, tongues and interpretation are not for today, all of those things. Okay, well, if they're not for today, then why do we see the enemy doing counterfeits? And why, you know, why, why, why would Satan continue to try to do things if God's not doing them? Because his whole thing is to deceive, pervert the truth that God speaks. So, 
it, it, it worries me when people say, oh, those things that people are doing, that's all of the devil. And it's like, if you say that it's of the devil, you run the risk of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So if they don't agree, fine. Just don't say it's of the devil. I, I would never, that's, I'd be playing with fire if I did that. Okay, so, look at verse 11 here. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, there's law, that word lawlessness again, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now again, do not let fear sink in when you read these things. Jesus said lawlessness will abound. He didn't say it will completely take over. We can see that because he said that the love of many will grow cold. He didn't say the love of all would grow cold. There will always be people who love God, who stay loyal to God. There will always be people who love Him even if they lose everything else. Jesus is just warning us to be careful who to trust when the end time takes, takes full swing because the love of many will grow cold. It's possible for Christians to be betrayed if they're not spirit-led as to who they should trust. My personal belief is that we are at the end of the beginning of sorrows that Jesus mentioned back up in verse 8. And even in these times, I've had to be careful who I trusted in the church. Because I've had other people in the church cause trouble for me. Not in this body, not in new life in Christ. It's, I mean, I can, I can honestly say that about this church. But in other churches, I've been burned. And I've had to learn to listen closely to the Holy Spirit about what things I shouldn't say or about certain people that I shouldn't spend a lot of time around. You know, not, not out of judgment, no. And, and never disrespectfully. But God had, had just, he just had me take a quiet step back. It's possible to take a step back from people in love. See, the lack of love is what is going to cause all this unrest within the church during that falling away that we talked about a couple weeks back. So let's uh, back up a bit and explore those verses Jesus gave us here. Look at verse 9 again. It says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. See, this is not just people in the church doing this to each other. This is talking about the world at large in verse 9. Verse 10, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Okay, so what we are seeing here is that there, there, that different people in the world will respond differently to the end times. Some of them will kill Christians, others will hate us, others will be offended by us. Some in the church will betray one another, and some will even hate each other. These are all very specific reactions, okay? And all of these things have been happening since the beginning of the church. They've already been happening. And the closer we get to the tribulation, the more of it we'll see. But again, based on what Jesus said later in this chapter, I don't believe it will be happening to the same degree everywhere. And we won't get into that this, you know, this time, but we'll you know, maybe talk about it later on. The way that Jesus talked about you know, things will be kind of business as usual. You know, there will be times of rest that you know, people will say, oh wow, you know, things were so bad, I really thought we were in the end times, but things have kind of calmed down now. Maybe, maybe we weren't in the end times after all. No, we're still in the end times. We're just kind of in a lull. And that will happen. Jesus you know, kind of made that clear. So, Another reason that we can see that, uh, that it won't be happening to the same degree everywhere is because the spirit of Antichrist will only be partly successful. 
Satan's not going to be successful in what he tries to do. People, another, another thing that people like to talk about that they're afraid of is the, new, is the world order. Oh, this is the beginning of the world order. You understand that the, from what the Bible teaches, a world order is not really possible. The Antichrist is going to constantly be at war with another, another person in power. How can he have a world order if, 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 he is not, if he's constantly at war with somebody? So yeah, in his, in his sphere of influence... He will exercise authority, but beyond that, he, he, he can't. He, in, in his fr- you, you see, you read in the, the, in the prophet Daniel, he is frustrated in his plans, very frustrated in his plans. He can't, he can't take over in places he wants to take over. Okay, so look at verse 11. It says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Again, this affects many, not all. Some parts of the world are more willing to accept false prophets than others. So a partial success on the part of the enemy doesn't surprise me. And he's got to be very frustrated about that. But as I mentioned earlier, these trials from people that Jesus talks about come from a lack of love. As a result of lawlessness, why does a a lack of love result from lawlessness? Because we're talking about God's law and his law is based on love. That's why the word tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. Because love does no harm. If you look at the Ten Commandments, they are all motivated out of a desire to do no harm to a neighbor. When lawlessness abounds, the opposite comes about. People do much harm to one another. Okay, moving on. Time for the good news. Time for the good news. Verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus is not talking about enduring physically. He's talking about enduring in your faith in him. If we don't allow these trials to cause us to abandon our faith in him, we will be saved in the end. That's what he means. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So, a couple weeks back, we said this to you, that when Jesus told us that the harvest is great, he never retracted that. And I, I touched on it again at the beginning of this. So, we need to use this idea of this great harvest field as a backdrop to all of the bad things that are going to happen in the end times. All of them. Is gonna, it, everything is going to be played out against this backdrop of a great harvest. Jesus just placed a huge exclamation point here at the end of the end times by saying that this gospel will be preached in all the world and then the end will come. All through the end times, even through the tribulation, people will be preaching the gospel everywhere. That's why people will be offended in the first place. That's why there will be persecution. You know, I think it was six years ago at that time uh, India became the, the country with the fourth largest Christian population. That came as a result of a huge revival that was going on. And the news reported burning buildings and shootings going on there, but they didn't say it was because of the anger that so many people were turning to Jesus. But that's what was happening. See, the news doesn't report on revivals going on in the world, but we get reports from missionaries working out there. God is doing things in the earth. So again, we'll acknowledge that times are hard, yes, and they will be harder during the tribulation, but God will still be at work during that time. 
and many will be saved. Okay, so before we close, flip back over to 1 John. I thought I had a bookmark in here, but I guess I... Okay, no, I did. All right, so 1 John. So what I want to do is um, I want to close this message with as much encouragement as I can. So here we learned about the need to test every spirit in order to identify false prophets. And, uh, you know, if you want a more expansive teaching on that, uh, look up Wolves and Sheep. We did four parts in that series, and uh, I believe it's one of the most important teachings that we've ever done here. But they are in audio only, so if you go to the church's website, uh, I believe they were maybe six months ago or so. But if you, if you search down there, through there, you'll find, you'll find it. Uh, very important teaching. Uh, but look at verse 3 again here in, in 1 John 4. It says that every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Okay, okay, so who, who he's saying that we've overcome them. Who, who, the spirits we were just talking about, those spirits that are not of God, the spirit of Antichrist, we've overcome them. Okay, he's saying that we have overcome the spirit of Antichrist. How? Okay, look at the second part of the verse. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It just kind of says it all right there, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit within the individual believer is greater than the devil, the Antichrist spirit, and every demon in existence. And if you have said out loud that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the word says you are now born of God's Spirit and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And if you want to step even further into God, you can ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit as well. And if you do that, just believe that you receive. And of course, if you have any questions about that, you can feel free to contact us with those questions. So, amen. You've overcome them in Jesus. All right, there's still much to say on this subject, but this is a good stopping point for now. So let's go ahead and pray and close, and we'll, we'll, pick, up, we'll pick this up again at some point. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us victory over the devil and over all his cohorts as long as we stay in Christ and we exercise the authority that we have been given in his name. We can see great things occur in this earth for you to reveal your glory in the earth and to reconcile people to yourself so you can adopt them into your kingdom. Father, you are just so good. You are so good. There is nothing that you cannot do. And so we thank you and ask you, Lord, once again to intervene in this earth. Prepare people's hearts to receive what it is that you are speaking to them through us. We ask, Lord, for the words. We ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in operation. We ask for signs, wonders, and miracles in the earth. Lord, we ask that you would stir up that spirit of revival in the land, that many would turn to you. And I thank you, Father. I pray you protect everybody. I pray you provide for all their needs. And I thank you, Lord, and I praise you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we love you guys, and we will be seeing you again next week.